compliment his not being in the... I was in the room. You were in the room. <laughs> were you getting told off for your language Tom, again? I was going to say, this is what it's going to be like when you die, Tom. You'll just be looking in on us, listening to us, taking the piss <laughs> out of you. Shouting obscenities. <laughs> no, we're not like you. We, we don't want to get told off for shouting yeah. obscenities. What, we had a complaint, did we? <laughs> to you. <laughs> to me? Who was that from? What did I do? Yeah, your mum's not happy with you, Tom. Oh. Oh, what did I do? Mrs. Lankwood, we're just as disappointed in Tom as you are. What did I do? You're listening to the Host Unknown Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are joining us. On to our Host Unknown's unofficial half-century Episode 50, 52, 53, 51, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, and he still hasn't got round to um, totting up the numbers just yet. But <laughs> So I have the numbers, okay? Do you know what I noticed is that episode one is missing. Yes, because we did that on a different platform many, many years ago. Right, and we couldn't be asked to transfer it across, no? Um, I, I, I could try, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I it's guess fine. we should. We can I guess put it we in should, the lost really. archives with the uh, with the other four that have gone. Yeah, through. yeah, and we're waiting for uh, a death in the family before episode two, of course. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes. Yeah. So blimey, we've been at this at, for at least a full year now. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Blimey. Anyway, so Andy, how are you? Uh, all good. Can't complain. I um, actually went for my second uh, batch of the uh, vaccine. Uh, Second, yeah, wow, I, that was I got great. up there. I, You've been uh, double dipped already. I got double dipped. I had a shot in each thigh, and uh, my thighs are killing me. Oh, uh. <laughs> oh very good. No, it's I, not good. Don't encourage him. Tom. I am gonna. <laughs> I am so gonna steal that. I'm so gonna steal that. <laughs> Jav, please tell me you got a better joke than that one. <laughs> it's just completely ripped out my soul today. I was feeling in a good mood and like <laughs> I didn't know that's where they put the jab th- these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you yeah, don't Andy's been subject to a lot of experiments over the years. So. <laughs> Mostly with sugar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still on those experiments. What are you talking? About? <laughs> yeah, that's right. How much more can this man take? <laughs> Push it up to 11. Yeah. It reminds me there's this old movie from the 80s, uh, old. Um it, it's got <laughs> what's that comedian name? I can't remember. I can picture him. But he's basically in the US military and he's their guinea pig to test out all the um all the gases and uh, biological warfare, basically, and he right. ends up developing an immunity to it. And uh, so, so, so it's a, it's a comedy. I'll, I'll have to look it up. But that's how I think Andy's going to be. It's like the doctors studying diabetes and uh, the effect of sugar on the body will look at Andy as a case study in years to come and say he actually developed an immunity to diabetes. An immunity to sugar. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would. It would. For us mere mortals. <laughs> oh dear well we're at the, for me this week this week is podcast week like something crazy so obviously got this one uh i'm recording a podcast for the company 
And then some other fellow wants me to do a podcast with him, um, a, a colleague in the US. And then um, I'm going on to a friend's podcast next week as well, which I'm preparing for. So it's like just a podcast 10 days. It's going crazy. I like how you make out like you've got so many friends. Well, I was going to say. say friends, you know, they're people whose names and addresses or, you know, email addresses are in my iPhone, you know. Email addresses, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I tell you what, that um, that Have I Been Pwned database is great. I have millions of friends around the world. <laughs> Is there anyway, any, uh... what have we got up for you today? Uh, so this week in InfoSec, it takes us back to the 60s. Uh, a 60s swinging movie, it says. Blimey. Uh, Ran to the week has got some domain name shenanigans in it. Billy Big Balls. Uh, well, in this case, it's uh, Karen's Colossal Cojones in the form of a techno tiger mum. Industry news bring us the uh, latest and greatest, greatest infosec news from around the globe, and a tweet of the week uh, asks if you've paid ransomware because you might be entitled to a refund. Ransomers hate this one trick. So uh, yeah, and also apparently hire cars are no good for short people, and that is all we have to say about little people on this show. So, yes, I think we've got quite the show ahead of us. I think Andy has outdone himself with the stories this week. You know what, Tom? You're absolutely right. Yes, I am. Let's move straight on that, in that case, into... This week in InfoSec. So it's that part of the show where we take a stroll down InfoSec memory lane to bring you content liberated from the Today in InfoSec Twitter account. Um, so this week, let me bring up the most well-known names of the cybersecurity industry from a time before it was even known as cybersecurity. Uh, so taking us back to the 4th of April, 1977, a meagre 44 years ago, uh, Ron Revest first introduced Alison Bob in a paper, a method for obtaining digital signatures and public key crypto systems. So, wow. you yeah, are reading that really carefully. I am because I, it's a real tongue twister for me on this one. And do you know what it is? There's something about uh, cryptography that I've never liked. Um, like I have always struggled with it. I always hated the idea of it. You know, whenever you do like certifications, they always want to go through it. That's yeah. my weeks, but I just absolutely hate everything about it. So with this apart from the privacy. Apart from the privacy aspect. So there's so much infosec history in this one. Um, yeah. and I, I will firstly say that through my own Wikipedia cross-referencing, um, the paper reference in this tweet is actually released in February the following year. And the paper from April 77 was actually called On Digital Signatures and Public Key Crypto Systems. So I just wanted to state that to save QA from Q on that one. Um, <laughs> so anyway, and, you know, and, what, and to show that you've actually put some effort in. And show that I've put some effort into this one. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. you know, it was 10 months between friends. So the origin <laughs> stories of so many cryptography and engineering lessons um, the Alice and Bob characters that were invented by Ron Revest, Adir Shamir, and Leonard Adelman. And those initials you, sound familiar. Well, I was about to say, you know, do you, can you think of anything else that uh, may still be running in these days that th- those initials were an origin story for? <laughs> um, <Oz? laughs> 
SARS. <laughs> so, so this one, so the name uh, Smashing Security. Ex- well, you get we're getting closer. So these people were the RSA or still are the RSA and RSA Security. Um, and of course, the RSA refers to the public key encryption technology first developed by the RSA Data Security Inc. Uh, back in 1982. Uh, so the abbreviation stands for Rivesh Shamir and Adelman. Um, you know, the inventors of the technique. And the idea for the first RSA conference was conceived in 1991. Uh, and that conference had just one panel. <laughs> and that panel was called DES and DSS, Standards of Choice. Um, and so that focused on why attendees should not adopt DSS, uh, you know, which is a standard that's expected to challenge RSA's security status as the de facto standard for digital signatures. Um but taking it back to, to Alice and Bob, Bob and Alice, Alice and Bob were the names given to the fictitious characters used to explain how the RSA encryption method worked, uh, with the thinking being that using names instead of letters, like A and B, would make a complex subject far more easier to grasp. Um, but they're now so commonly used that most educators don't even give a second thought to where they came from. Uh, so for someone like me who needs to create an image in my head... <laughs> You know, yeah. when understanding something, yeah. uh, you know, cryptography is hard. When I first, you know, did my CISP, uh, as I was saying, you know, the, the encryption or, you know, CIWSP. Uh, I, I was going to say, you, did you what? Oh, on, yes. Yeah, CIWSP. Pronounce it correctly, shall we? Uh, yeah, we don't want to spread misinformation. Uh, you know, that was generally the only domain that I was worried about. I absolutely, you know, I could, I have no issues with telling you what type of fire extinguishers theoretically be placed in. Uh, you know, what fire suppression system, inert gas ratios. The candela of lighting in a, in an underground garage. <laughs> exactly. None of that bothers me whatsoever. Um, but anyway, over the years, you know, the, the Alice and Bob storyline has become more complicated, uh, something on par with a high-tech reality show. Uh, not only in, uh, are Alice and Bob trying to share a secret, but Carol and Dave want in on it, and Eve is trying to eavesdrop. Uh, so obviously a whole cast of characters being introduced to explain everything from micropayments to SSL and quantum cryptography. And some people suspected the name actually stemmed from the swinging 60s movie, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Uh, however, in a, 19, in a 2005 Networking World interview, uh, Rives said that he came up with the Alice and Bob uh, to be able to use A and B for notation, uh, and that by having one male and one female, the pronouns he and she could be used in descriptions. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I buy that, but it is a plausible explanation. Um, and Reverse says that it's possible the Alice name came to mind because it's something out of a uh, Alice in Wonderland movie, uh, you know, of which he's a big fan. Um, so there is uh, additional links in the show notes because this is a really, you know, sort of complex, complex topic. Uh, and there's a link in the show notes to the uh, John Gordon, who's a data security expert. He, he did a 1984 after dinner speech um, at a technology seminar in Switzerland, which I highly recommend you read. Um, but as a sort of too long didn't read, um, he basically sums it up as saying, Alice has never met Bob. She has no idea what his voice sounds like. All in all, Alice has a whole bunch of problems. And there's one other thing to say. Alice doesn't trust Bob. Now, most people in Alice's position would give up, but not Alice. She has courage, which can only be described as awesome. Against all odds, over a noisy telephone line, tapped by the tax authorities and the secret police, Alice will happily attempt 
with someone she doesn't trust, whom she can't hear clearly, and who is probably someone else, to fiddle her tax return and to organise a coup d'etat, while at the same time minimising the cost of the phone call. (laughs) (laughs) So Alice and Bob and Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, RSA and the RSA conferences um, have had a a massive butterfly effect in our industry, Um, all because three guys wrote a paper 44 years ago this week. You know what it means. We have to write a paper ourselves. <laughs> in 44 <laughs> years' time, maybe this podcast will be held in high esteem. <laughs> or maybe Tam not. conferences. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's... Oh, no. uh... <laughs> Tad. Taj conferences. <laughs> Where did I get the Tam from? Uh, the Malik. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, so I just want... Uh, in the show notes, I've put... You talk about how cryptography is difficult. I actually wrote a blog about this a while ago. And of course there's you two, two images I uh, <laughs> There's two images I created to explain it. And if I don't say so myself, because neither of you are going to pat me on the back, uh, these, these explain it really well. It's like uh, using uh, uh, magic to explain how symmetric and asymmetric key cryptography work. Uh, yes, uh, I remember that. Yeah, so um, uh, you can educate yourself in there. So, um, you know, I can also get some some uh, technical creds, let's say that. <laughs> you, you, you mean hits to your website? No, no, I've just pasted the uh, – I'll just the paste the images into the uh, show notes. Well, I've also put a link into the Wikipedia as well because – did you know, maybe you did, that there's a whole host of other characters? Yes. Um, you've obviously got the C's, you know, it's not it's Carol, Carlos, or Charlie, Chuck, Craig, or Dan, Dave, or David, but you've also got Erin, Eve, Faith, Frank, Grace, Heidi, Ivan, Judy, Mallory, uh, Michael or Mike, uh, Nyage, I don't know where that came from, Olivia, Oscar, Peggy or Pat, Rupert, Sybil, Trent or Ted, Trudy, Victor or Vanna, Walter and Wendy. You can already tell the um, the ethnicity of the people that created these names, can't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is uh, this is like the <clears throat> this is like the this is like the cybersecurity um, cinematic universe and all the superheroes that are within it. <laughs> Well, yeah. there is one. So, Nyage, which I did stumble on, is used as an alternative to the eavesdropper Eve in several South Asian nations. Uh, okay. Is it, so the, so the hard to pronounce name is the bad guy. I get yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Heidi, a mischievous designer for cryptographic standards, but rarely used. <laughs> Grace, a government representative. I love it. Okay, I love it. <laughs> we'll, we'll buy the comics. <laughs> we yeah, get yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> Mallory, a malicious attacker. Associated with Trudy, an intruder. <laughs> nice. Oh, dear. I mean, I bet they would never have guessed they'd have spawned a whole sort of subculture of, of names. And no. <laughs> oh, dear. Very good. Very good. Do you have another one for us? Uh, I, did, I mean, this one was really just a uh, quick one. This is uh, just only seven years ago on the uh, 8th of April 2014. Uh, extended support for Microsoft Windows XP. Service Pack 3 ended, uh, which is nearly six years after the SP3's release and basically 12 and a half years after the general availability of Windows XP. 
And this uh, was interesting for me because I don't know about you guys, but I still occasionally come across Windows XP machines um, in use uh, in a production manner. Do you know what? XP was, I think, Microsoft's best operating system. It just did everything for everybody and did it well and was stable. And then they started to bugger about with the interface and bugger about with everything else. But it it it, it was all things for all people. I think it was it was an, a fantastic um, operating system. Is that the last Windows machine you ever used? Yep. He's he's not forget XP. He's not seen Windows ever since then. Yeah. Actually, no, I did. I did have a. I, I built a water cooled machine many years ago, and I did have. Uh, I did put Vista on it, and it was horrible. Oh, after XP, it was just horrible. I think even so, Microsoft don't talk about Vista, though, do they? No. Well, Vista has been consigned into the same bin as Windows ME. Yeah. Oh, ME. Wow. God, that was awful. See, I'll I'll always have a soft spot for NT four. NT4 Service Pack 6A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most stable production server you can get. You're just you're just um, showing your age, Windows NT3. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone, in fact, my first machine was MS-DOS 2, I think it was. Good times. Was it 2 or maybe 3? I can't remember. 303 rings a bell. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, then upgrade into Windows... Uh, Windows 3.1, that's right, and then and then for work groups, which added an extra floppy and not much else because nobody had a network then. <laughs> oh, dear. Excellent. Thank you very much, Andy, for this week's... This week in InfoSoc. So let's move swiftly on, shall we? And uh, I think, well, I think this one's me, and I think we're going to go straight on to... Listen up! Rant of the week. It's time to mother rage! Now, as always, um, you know, just before the show, we always decide who gets what stories, and the, the stories that I tend to get tend to be the ones that I can understand, uh, which uh, kind of cuts it down somewhat. But this one... Definitely, this 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 one just comes down to sheer bloody common sense uh, and semi decent um, project management. But uh, the UK Cyber Security Council uh, launched itself this week, um, and but managed to launch itself with a huge, huge mistake, which could open itself up for huge amounts of of. Um, malevolent behavior, ridicule, and just a, a massive loss of trust in what should be applauded as a good initiative, you know, a, 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 a new cybersecurity uh, initiative. So um, what they did, the UK Cybersecurity Council, they announced itself uh, last week, very, very good, uh, it's a brainchild of the Department for the Digital Culture, Media and Sport, um, the uh, government department that even Jav and I have had something to do with, uh, although we got a bit busy and couldn't be bothered after that. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, UK Cybersecurity Council is billed by the UK government as the regulatory body and voice for UK cybersecurity education, training and skills. And as part of that, it drives progress towards meeting the key challenges the profession faces. Great. This is putting some, you know, some government clout, some government money, and hopefully some, you know, potentially some regulation, be it formal or, or, or informal, if such a thing exists, but you know what I mean, 
um, making this all very worthy uh, and important. Um, the official press release mentioned an email for ukcybersecurity.org.uk. Uh, it was unfortunate at that point that it all started to unravel because the UK Cybersecurity Council didn't own the domain ukcybersecurity.org.uk that their press release had made reference to and had email addresses to. In fact, nobody owned it. And in fact, I'm quite surprised that that hadn't already been registered, but nobody owned it until, you know, all round good egg, uh, Adrian Kennard brought it or purchased it, I should say, and pointed it at his own personal blog where he dispensed some, in inverted commas, gentle advice to the new organisation. Um, one of the tips I can give you, he says, when it comes to cybersecurity is that you should be careful to ensure that contact details you publish actually belong to you, who wrote Kennard. And, he, uh, actually, and Kennard should know because he runs a, a UK uh, ISP. And he goes on to say, it took a while to stop laughing at the irony first, but now, yes, the UK Cybersecurity Council are welcome to ukcybersecurity.org.uk. They can email me at press at ukcybersecurity.org.uk, which was also the uh, email address they published in their in their media release, <laughs> uh, for more information, brackets, Man. be nice. You know, there's some person in that office that's sitting there looking at their to-do list. <laughs> And they realised that, uh, you know, that there's a record scratching moment in the background. Yeah. Or, or like me the other day, looking at, you know, my handwritten to-do list thinking, what the, f- what was that? <laughs> so, what so did what, I write then? What was even funnier, I think, is uh, while they were trying to sort it out, they tweeted, I think they tweeted or someone tweeted out on their behalf saying, for, for these matters, please use the hashtag UKCSC. And... Um, what they didn't realise is that hashtag is well used by the UK Cannabis Social Club. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it just goes yeah. from bad to oh, worse. Man. I mean, oh. it's it's such a shame because, you know... Much needed org. It's a much needed org. I think... On the whole, the UK government has been doing, you know, and you know my views on the current UK uh, government, or should I say raft of politicians, but UK government has on the whole been doing quite a good job. The National Cyber Security Centre is stepping up, putting out some really good advice. Um, the the, the, the um, DCMS are building IoT regulations for, you know, the sale and purchase of IoT devices in the UK. There's this, the UK Cyber Security these are good things. Uh, oh, yeah, they also established the Cyber Essentials thing a few years back, which, you know, has has many flaws, but is actually, you know, moves the needle in the right direction for all companies. Um, but and then something like this happens and it's it's not even, oh, well, we unfortunately configured the back end to use a, you know, a, a beta version of a more advanced cryptographic technique. No, we forgot to register the damn domain name, for goodness sake. You know, this is this not a complex mistake, you know, that comes about as a result of very complicated systems. This is this is this is table stakes stuff. You know, this is uh, well, uh, you know, not surprising this is around to the week. Uh but hopefully, hopefully they've uh, got it all sorted out now, and they can actually put this behind them, fire the intern, obviously, um, 
Hopefully, whoever put this together will also, after firing the intern, be able to get a keynote at uh, this year's RSA conference to talk about <laughs> how it was the intern's fault and how they fired yeah. it. So, um, am I getting this confused with someone else? I'm yeah. not sure. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but well, um, yeah, I think you're being very, very optimistic, Tom. Um, I, I've been doing some research on the internet, and um, uh oh, <laughs> so there's been people tweeting about this as well. And um, so friend of the show, Gabe, he said uh, 16-ish professional bodies and talking heads and committees. They wrote a bunch of papers, uh, white papers last year, but I haven't seen them come out. Uh, He goes on to say, when I was with ISSA UK, we evaluated them, but found them too difficult to get involved. We had over 20 hands-on contributors. Wow. (laughs) So, um, So, yeah, I think it's, Whatever happened to the ISSA UK? I don't know. I haven't uh, been involved with them for a while. To, seems to be gone a bit quiet recently. But uh, yeah. now we're really mixing up rants. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, yeah whatever, I happened think, to, whatever happened to rant? That was a good event. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. So can I just uh, add, so back in 2001, I think, well, it was towards my end of time, uh, a former employer. Uh, a big press release went out that uh, they were divesting one of their businesses or, or, you know, spinning out one of the businesses. And they basically published it to us internally uh, with the name of that new company. And back then, I, I literally just, you know, looked up, you know, went to UK2, you know, .net, whatever, and then just um, checked to see if that domain name was available. And it was, like the UK one was, the, the US one wasn't. Uh, and this was, you know, the problem with being a, a US-based company is that everything was very US-focused. Yeah. And so this press release went out and I literally, I locked it and, went, and I just registered the UK.co.uk uh, domain just like straight away. And um, it was funny because, it, it, you know, back then it was actually getting quite a bit of traffic, just like organic traffic, people going to the co-UK one. And over the course of like the next probably two years, uh, first of all, I did nothing with it. I was getting emails from, uh, ironically, people that I knew within the company because they didn't know it was me that, that registered it. So I was actually getting emails from people um, asking me if I'd be willing to sell it. And I was like, oh, I can't sell it because that's like domain squatting and it's like, you know, uh, like withholding something for money and that's how they're going to get me. And um, it, like, so we, I ended up switching it to um, as an advertising company at the time, just paid for impressions. So I put like this big uh, advert on the page, uh, moved it to a mate's name as well. Uh, so it's getting all this, uh, like we're talking about pennies for like, you know, ad impressions that were going on. And it was all good and literally forgot about it for like two years. And then got a phone call from my friend who hadn't spoken to for a while. He was very distressed. Um, he had received a legal letter from, let's um, say, Equifax's legal department. Um, accusing him of cyber squatting and they were going to sue him unless he turned over the domain immediately. Uh, and obviously he was like, dude, this is your domain. You deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so then I had to just like create an entirely fake name and um, <laughs> like all these fake contact details. I used to use uh, like, like this fax, uh, you know, pay to fax service on um Oh, like in Fulham uh, on, um, I can't remember the name of the road. Uh, but there's like some little news agent. So I'd use that guy's details as how they could contact me via fact. 
just in case. So I was like, absolutely paranoid that we're going to sue me. And I literally I turned over that domain with no questions. This is like as I'm like a breaking bad, honestly. It's like, but honestly, the lengths you went to and everything, and you, you folded so quickly, man. You didn't even fold. You were just like completely uprooted and like, yeah, whatever, mate, whatever. You've, you've been waiting for that opportunity to say Andy has folded. This was like twenty a pack years of ago. Twenty years time, ago, Andy. this was. It a was, leopard uh, never yeah. changes its. <laughs> that, that that is fascinating though. That that's great. However, however, if if uh, we want to talk about d- domain registration, it would be remiss of us not to mention our good friend Khalil, who's uh, Senahoy on Twitter, oh, yes. um, yeah. whose pinned tweet to this day is coffee shop. People next to me are loud and rude. They just found the perfect name for their new business. I just bought the domain name. Um. And uh, he, to this day, he maintains that that's his tweet, and that really happened, despite that those very words being on Reddit two years prior. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we do know if there's one thing we do know about him is that he likes to uh, recycle content from Reddit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Khalil, friends of the show, we know you listen. Um, you know, if you want to, you know, set the record straight, please come on. Please send us an email, uh, preferably not via your solicitors. <laughs> Anyway, that was this week's Rant of the Week. Very, very good. Sketchy presenters, weak analysis of content, and consistently average delivery. Like and subscribe now. Indeed, you can even sponsor us. Go to our website for details, hostunknown.tv. Andy, I think it's time for this week's... Do not assume gender. Um, No, not at all. In fact, this week's is Karen's Colossal Cajonas. Karen with a C. Karen with a C. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a story about um, a tech exec who um, had her kids sign a user agreement before she got them their first phones. Uh, And I think guess this is one of those uh, signs at a time. So... Uh, What we do know is that when it came to tech and their own kids, both Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were famously strict about how much screen time they allowed their kids to have. Um, So Jobs didn't let his uh, kids have an iPad, um, and Gates banned his kids from getting phones until they were 14 years old, which, uh, you know, I don't have a 14-year-old kid yet, but I do (laughs) do, uh, I can appreciate uh, how... You know, these phones are just, I guess, a lifeline for kids nowadays when they go to schools. Uh, it seems to be more and more normal. You see kids of at least secondary school age, you know, almost everyone's got a phone. Um, and it, yeah, I, I think it's a big... 14's not late, but it's it's certainly not early. I mean, it's not late, late. I think my kids had a regular phone at about 10, you know, a little sort of uh, non-smartphone. And then when they went to secondary school, they got a smartphone. But yeah, uh, so that was at like 11, 12. But, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Different. Jeff, what about uh, your daughter? Yeah, I think she got a phone about a smartphone, like about fourteen. I think thirteen or fourteen is probably when she got her own one. Yeah, uh, year the, or two the into youngest, he's he's like four, 
and he's forever got a phone or device in his hand. We don't know where he gets them from. He's <laughs> just like, one minute you're sitting there, the next minute your phone's gone and he's unlocked it and he's downloading some games onto it. It's, uh, it's truly games. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, it, it wasn't me, it was the little one, love. Yeah. Oh, I didn't download those yeah. photos. He, he thought Tinder was a game. It's <laughs> <laughs> he used daddy's profile picture to uh, <laughs> to bypass the... <laughs> <laughs> the validators, right? Yeah. So this, um, so just like Gates and uh, Jobs before her, Jennifer Zhu Scott uh, is a Hong Kong-based tech exec and a TED speaker who focuses on privacy issues. And she was obviously concerned about, you know, the I guess all parents would go through the dangers of giving her two children aged ten and eleven smartphones, um, because obviously she understands. Uh, you know the the positives and the negatives of uh, yeah. you know the power that comes with these. So she drew on her own professional experience and she made them sign a three page, fifteen point user agreement in order to receive their phones. And this is I know Tom, you said this is sort of Tiger Mum vibes. Uh, you know when you saw the headline for this one. Uh, so within it, you know there, there are things like you know they had to agree to share their passwords with her. Um, ask for permission before signing up for social media accounts. Um, they had to be open about any harassment or strange phone calls or, you know, weird messages they were receiving. And they had to um, answer any questions that she had about, you know, how they were using their phones. Um, so this is sort of part, you know, maintaining control, but also, you know, her intent is to give them a sort of crash course in internet privacy. And, um, you know, she, she tells her, daughters that you know everything we put online is basically there forever um you know it's there available for anyone to be read used sold in ways that you know even we would struggle to understand let alone a 10 11 year old um so you know there's some other good behaviors that i guess go with this etiquette and overuse um banning the use of phones after 8 p.m uh you know i think i could probably benefit with not using my phone after you know maybe two in the morning or something like that um, <laughs> and uh, yeah that, that three hours on tiktok tiktok is just <laughs> yeah i don't know it's, it's killing it's about, my day it's killing yeah, my day it's, yeah. um and it also contains um you know information about the the you know, fallout from, uh, you know, sharing, uh, you know, the lifelong fallout of sharing embarrassing photos. Um, and so we, I've included a copy of the agreement in the show notes. But with this, I know, you know, there is some criticism for Tiger Mum vibes. But to me, you know, she's really trying to educate um, in a way. And I guess the kids are motivated. They want phones. And, you know, it teaches them what we all do is just uh, ignore what you're signing. <laughs> just click straight through <laughs> and get the goodies. <laughs> But, yeah. but you know what? I think in, in, in good host unknown style, I obviously you know, read the headline and made my own mind up about and you gave my opinion about it. But actually, frankly, it's whilst when you see the headline it says, you know, makes their kids sign an agreement, blah, blah, blah. It sounds very sort of Machiavellian. But but um, when you read into it, as you say, it's it, it's it's talking about the dangers of it. It's and it's what your the things you highlighted there are not unreasonable things to expect from any normally socialized person let alone kids right you know don't uh don't use your phone while you're walking or you know off you know talking to someone or at the dinner table or whatever that should be that's fairly normal stuff isn't it <laughs> you know so um yeah you know i think i think it's good that we've got a link to the agreement in the in the uh, show notes because i think there's many parents that probably uh, and kids that would benefit from this 
No, you're you're right. You're right. I think it's it's actually good parenting. It's uh, it's uh, getting getting the points across in in a way like Andy said. It, it's uh, the kids are incentivized at this point to to listen and pay attention and hopefully um, you know set up boundaries and barriers or enable a bit of self control. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We we are adults that are really struggle with that. So uh, I don't I don't fully blame kids for being on their phone at all hours. No, no, not at all. Because you know, let's face it, we all are as well <laughs> at the end of the day. But I, I remember staying at a friend's house in Boston in 2010, and his uh, well, then 12 year old daughter, she had um one of the you know an early smartphone. I think it was one of the it was like 2010 that would have made it an iPhone, the first iPhone, the iPhone three. I can't remember. But um, my friend showed me the contract that they'd drawn up, and it was just you know one page, and it was 12 points or something. But it had literally things exactly like this, you know, like. You know, the phone, you know, after 9 p.m., the phone needs to stay in the kitchen. Can't go overnight in her bedroom. You know, they, she needs to share her passwords, you know, the agreement that any concerning activity is reported to them and all that sort of thing. And I, and I thought at the time that actually that's quite a good idea and maybe I'll do that with my kids and then completely neglected to do so. So, um, <laughs> I guess my only, um, and I know, uh, you know, the same thing there is you have to share your passwords because that straight away, you know, sort of tells them it's okay to share their passwords with certain people. Um, yeah, you know, there's ways the around that, I think. Certainly, you know, various password sharing yeah. uh, systems. You know, I use LastPass. I think I've said that before, and we've got a family account. And I know that as an admin of the account, I can, if I need to, open Retrieve up that. the kids' accounts, anybody who's under the age of 18. Um, but um, it would be have to be something I would actively have to do, and there would yeah. need to be, you know, a reason for it, as it were. But you're right. Uh, I think, you know, sharing your password in the traditional sense, hey, write it down on a post-it note and give it to me and make sure I know it, it's not – that's not great. But you can understand where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And this yeah. is a trade-off, I guess. You know, you, you in, can't have a in, perfect solution for everything. Yeah, in the same way that, you know, well, their emails and their messages should be private. But as a parent of a 13-year-old girl, 13-year-old boy – Actually, sometimes you really need to see what those messages are because well, yeah, yeah. you're worried about the welfare I mean, of the child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're the parent. It's like, yeah. you know, a 10-year-old might still need assistance at times in getting dressed or having a shower or something like that. I mean, the point is that the parent still has access to them to a far greater degree. It's not to say that, oh, now the child thinks that it's normal for any adult to... Yeah. To, to see them, um, uh, you know, in a state of undress or anything. So I think there is a different issue with with parents. And, and it's, it's a balancing act at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah. You know, it's a balancing act because you want them to grow up with that sort of self feeling of self-worth and autonomy and that, you know, what's theirs is theirs and they don't have to share things if they don't want to and all, all that sort of stuff. But as a parent... So yeah, I have to say I, I had software. Definitely, um, definitely a, a, a Karen's colossal cojones award to uh, to to this one. I, I do disagree, though. That there's, you know, I think there's there's a bit too much. I mean, independence is one thing, but I think the way technology is designed, it's just too individualistic. And the, you know, I, I think that technology should be designed with more of a family or a sharing environment in mind, if that's something that people choose to go for. Um, well, Apple, yeah, yeah. Apple have those that that family sharing stuff and the fact that you can control devices and all that sort of stuff. Oh Check God. it out, kids. Mr. Apple. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I just mean just generally, like it, it's not just phones; it's computers, it's tablets, it's everything. It's it's just the whole 
the whole way everything goes. I mean, if you think back to it, like when you had the home phone as the primary phone in the house, oh, dear it, God. it would just be there. <laughs> it would just be there. It would ring and whoever was nearest would pick it up or that you'd argue with, with someone to you pick yeah. it up or you pick it up. And, you and know, it's in the hallway, which is always the coldest yeah, room in the house anyway. Yeah. And you wanted privacy, so you'd have to drag it as far as you could. <laughs> you might even have like the rotary, uh, you know, part yeah. sitting on the floor, and you're pulling the cord <laughs> even further into a room where you can yes. try and close the door. My rotary phone was attached to the wall, and I was oh, always killer. jealous of these American shows that I saw, where they had those massive cords that they could just walk around with. And, like, you had this little like half a meter one. It's like what's you know, why have the Americans got these long cords that they can <laughs> literally walk into a different room and close the door on? You but know? even that didn't make a difference if someone else picked up the, the other phone yeah, from the yeah. other room. And you had another phone? <laughs> you had another phone? For goodness sake. <laughs> what about if you had a party line where you literally shared the phone line with your next door neighbour? <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, excellent. Thank you very much, Andy, for this week's Billy Big Balls of the Week. This is the Host Unknown Podcast. And I'm pretty sure it's that time of the week, isn't it, Andy? Uh, it is. It's that time of the show where we head over to our news sources over at the InfoSec PA Newswire, who have been very busy bringing us the latest and greatest security news from around the globe. Industry News. Microsoft suffers second outage in two weeks. Industry News. Data of half a billion Facebook users leaked. Industry News. Australia considers social media ID requirements. Christ. Industry News. Florida school district held to impossibly high ransom. Industry News. Cybersecurity industry must find solutions for third-party data security. Industry News. Chemical weapon shopping sends dark web user to prison. Industry News. Italian arrested after allegedly playing hitman to murder ex-girlfriend. Industry News. College track coach accused of cyberstalking. Industry News. Wormerwood Netflix malware spreads via WhatsApp messages. Industry News. And that was this week's... Industry News. Javad's Weekly Stories. I've been, <laughs> I've just recovered, like just slightly recovering from that that horrible chest infection I had last week. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> and that was this week's Javad's weekly stories. <laughs> very good, very good. Oh dear, right. Go! Recording from the UK. You're listening to the Host Unknown podcast. And Jav, I think it's your turn now for... Tweet of the Week. And we always play that one twice. Tweet of the Week. So this Tweet of the Week uh, comes from M. Shapasandi. It's uh, at M underscore Shapasandi. Um, and uh, he's tweeted out that the Ziggy ransomware operators are now offering a uh, a refund. 
if if uh, if you show them receipts and send you your bank details and your mother's maiden name. No. So apparently, a few months ago, the uh, Ziggy ransomware operators um, sort of like decided to shut shop, and uh, they actually released the decryption keys for free. So um, the they they shut down in February after law enforcement has uh, been hot on the heels of. Uh, ransomware gangs, you know, they, they, they've been after like they shut down a, a bunch of them. And so apparently they, they peed their pants. They got a bit scared. So they released all the de- uh, decryption keys. There's a SQL file with 922 decryption keys that could be used by the victims to unlock their files. Why did they release it in a SQL file? I mean, 922, surely Excel would have done <laughs> I Techie, don't know. Pure techies, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, they're not yeah. thinking about usability. Well, I guess, I guess, also they're doing the equivalent of driving off in the getaway car and throwing the cash out the window, right? Yeah, they're just not yeah, thinking about yeah. it. They're literally just no. Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! So this it out. this is kind of crazy because I can't believe that they have not already spent a lot of that money. Yeah. Or maybe they were too scared to move it out of their Bitcoin wallet, and you know, they it all sounds like a good idea until it actually happens and then you're you're hit by the re- realization of all the implications especially when you see some of your role models like getting banged up and also a lot of these gangs they'll they'll use ransomware as a service right and so yeah. isn't there the possibility that they may not have owned this particular ransomware or they may have you know maybe modified it or whatever but by by you know chucking out the window 922 decryption keys are they ones that could be used elsewhere as well i mean have they undermined you know, other criminals' ability to to hold people to ransom as a result of this? No, I think because they they generate a new key for every victim, isn't it? It's asymmetric. Um, uh, yes, of course. It's, yeah, it, yeah, they yeah. don't uh, use yeah. the same. You see, I'm with Andy on this with with cri- crypto. <laughs> I can't even say the words cryptography. Um, this yeah. this is I think this is like the manifestation of those YouTube videos where someone does something really stupid and when someone gets really angry then it's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank. So yeah. I think <laughs> that's what they're doing. Back. Yeah. We're, we're giving you the decryption key so you can decrypt your data and now we're offering to give you your money back if you just email us and we'll refund it to your Bitcoin wallet. Um a little too little too late. I, I you know what, even if they don't get caught, I'm very happy with the thought that they are scared and they're like, they're like more scared. They're just as scared as Andy trying, try going down to a, to, to Mr. Patel's shop and like say, Hey, can I give you your details as my, as the owner of this uh, web domain? I mean, just knowing that they're living in fear just puts a big old smile on my face. And I think that even might be even better than them going to prison. Cause this is a sh- a cloud that will be over them forever. <laughs> I love the fact that you compare like a uh, a young twenty year old me to Mister uh, Javad Deckchair Malik, uh, who is, <laughs> as recently as like you know maybe two weeks. Fake news! Fake news! Fake news! <laughs> Deckchair Malik, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it is good that uh, law enforcement is actually having that, um, you know, deterrent, uh, I think, yeah. because that is certainly something we don't often see with ransomware. <laughs> you know, they're like, dude, we're not even in your, re- you know, not even in your continent. You know, you're never going to find us. Yeah. And I think 
I and I really hope that we don't cover a story in a in a few weeks' time or a few months' time that sort of says this was all a ruse for something else, and uh, <clears throat> you know it's all part of a, a larger you know masterminded criminal mastermind plan. But actually, this is them literally running scared and and chucking the money out of the car. Um, well, maybe they so, got hacked, and so the people that hacked them are trying to find their old customer base because well, you know yeah. they're susceptible and so, and to and a secondary they're, infection. They're just burning, you know, doing a, a scorched earth on their way out. Maybe, maybe, but but you know, we're all cynical. We're going to say like, no, this is the scam. They're, they're they're trying to get people to send them their details, and they're going to find a way to rip them off even more. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's almost like we've been burnt like this before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's a good story. It's a, it's a good one to um, well, it's a it's a feel good story, right? At the end of the day, because actually, some something somewhere is making a difference. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, very good, very good. Thank you very much, Jav. Tweet of the week. All right, and we've got some of the um, uh, tweets of that of that in the show notes as well. So um, actually, there was another tweet that um, that I think we we did consider putting in the show. I think we should put that one in as well. And there's the, it's this one from a chap called Yarden Shafir. That's at Yarden uh, underscore Shafir. Uh, basically, said all those hacker movies really didn't prepare me for how working in cybersecurity is mostly just moving Jira tickets around. Uh, which, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Is about right. Is about right. Let's face it, it. You know the days of hanging from wires like Tom Cruise whilst you uh, break into a server, you know, or secure a server or whatever are long gone. And it quite, quite literally is everything's through tickets now. Yeah, it's kind so, of sad as well, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. The reality. It is. And I think yeah. that's where uh, was it. Mister Robot uh, was probably the first. Um, I'd say the first. It was probably the most realistic show. Uh, yes. You know, when it comes to what hacking looks like and there's nothing flash and it's like, you know, I can't hack it from here. I have to be there and plug into their network. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah. 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 And shove a raspberry pie into a hole in the wall in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <It's, laughs> but, uh, Although there was also that film by a guy called uh, Jonathan Schieffer who did Algorithm. Uh, and that was a I very good that. film. Never it's one. yeah, it's it's available on YouTube now. I think it was he he monetized it for a little while on Amazon Prime and elsewhere. Um, and you know, I've I, I've got a bought a digital copy and a Blu-ray because I met him at a forty-four con years ago, and uh, my, the company I was working for we actually paid. This is when it was a commercial release. We actually paid him some money to show it in um, various offices for like a film night. Um, which went down really well, actually, and it's it's a slow moving film. You know, there's there's a you know, at, and it's a low budget. I think he said he shot it for something like eight thousand um, dollars, and you'd never believe it by looking at it. It's extremely high quality, extremely well put together, but it is slow, and it and I think it under it underscores that actually, yes, it's very insidious. Yes, there's very serious consequences, and they are very serious consequences in the film. But it's not all car chases and explosions and, you know, um, you know, reverse hacking the proxy on the firewall type stuff. It's, you know, hard work and, you know, plugging away at stuff until until you can make it happen. You know? I'm sorry. Are you telling me that the Hollywood movie Swordfish isn't <laughs> accurate? Yeah. 
or, or, or the Chris Hemworth uh, movie Black Hat. <coughs> yeah. Well, I think Swordfish is isn't accurate because it portrays uh, John Travolta as heterosexual, right? Oh. <laughs> okay, not going there. allegedly. But, allegedly, you know, you know what what what's uh, what thing I I might have considered giving algorithm a watch, but. Because it's a recommendation from you, Tom, from, <laughs> from someone you met at 44Con. Oh, my you're... days. Oh, <laughs> God. I forgot. I repressed memories. <laughs> oh, my so, uh, so this one, right? So Tom met some guy in a bar the night before. No, it was a bar at 44Con. It yeah, wasn't the just bar some random at 44Con. Guy. And that the was guy, the night before. Yeah, turned out to be one of the speakers. And so Tom convinced myself and Jeff to go to this guy's talk. It sounded interesting. And we sat right at the front. No, <laughs> second row, second row. We were so, behind his missus, remember? <laughs> and this guy, so the talk was called Punking Punk Buster. <laughs> and it was the most in-depth technical breakdown I have ever... And it was just like... We were so lost, but we're also right in the way where if we moved, it was just too obvious that. And I think Jav, you were the first to bail. Jav banged out. Yeah, yeah. you just sort of sent a text. You're like, sorry, I'm out of here. Because honestly, because the way Tom sold it, I mean, he didn't tell us it was so technical. It was something about it's something about removing privacy protections on um, on. No, 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 no. It's. Punk Buster was a thing that, that um, some gaming company used. That yeah, if you cheated, yeah. <clears throat> it would basically um, fingerprint every single device in your computer and then ban you from the game. And so you couldn't even jo- rejoin under a new username because it recognized your unique yes, yes. CPU, That's right. uh, your CPU That's right. all that sort of thing. And, and you sold it to us on the fact that he's built his own 3D model slides, which he has. Yes, but he has. That yes. had nothing to do with the talk. It was like to Andy said, it was so technical. And then we were sat there and Andy was sending these these messages and I, I just got the giggles and I just couldn't stop. <laughs> So I was like, forget that. I picked up my phone as if I got a phone call and I just started walking out. And uh, that, I, <laughs> that I think was... at that point, Andy and I looked at each other and went, God damn it, we can't go now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, if you remember, Andy, Tom also convinced us that the closing keynote was going to be fantastic. And he spoke to the speaker. and That was dreadful. <laughs> Actually, we use that. In fact, Jav, you and I have used that as an example of good content, bad storytelling, haven't we? Because that was about Weave, you know, the the troll Weave when he was in prison and his friend who set up a, an ability for him, you know, when he used his phone calls for him to, for that to uh, speech to text on Twitter, something like that. Uh, and she told it in the most uninspiring way. Um, and it was just really dull, but it was actually quite an interesting story. Uh, around you know what he'd been arrested for and how he wasn't able to you know connect through his chosen medium etc uh, and so how she'd enabled that to work but, but anyway yeah. the moral of the story is if tom ever says that he's been hanging out with speakers <laughs> at a bar the night before and he's got some recommendations for you just go the other way because they're likely not going to be things of interest or things that you're going to understand 
but but we also sat into onto one demo there where a guy was doing something with forensics on a hard disk or whatever like that, and he was doing it live, and then tapity tap, tapity tap, and it was all up on the screen, and he hit return, and all his text went up, and the entire audience burst into applause. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, what did he do? I have no idea what he. Do. Let's yes. just clap anyway. Let's yes. just clap anyway. Yes. It must be good. Didn't have a clue. I think that was Steve Lord. He was doing something. No, like... no, it was Travis somebody. He was the guy who designed the badges that year. Oh, right. Okay. An American dude. Um, but um, uh, he also, he, he does the um, POC or GTFO books. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, him. But, uh, and, and if you've got those, uh, well, I've got them on the shelf just so I can say I've got them. <laughs> I have no idea. Have them in the talk. background when you're on video calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I think you'll find I'm a genuine hacker. <laughs> Do not question my authority. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, just sit there and remember that you're not anywhere near close to being the smartest person in the room. No, no. What was it like I, I the year that my... Tom nearly had a nervous breakdown before his own talk? I think that it was no. Was that that year or the year before? That was forty four con though. Where, yeah, I was sat in the toilets trying to work, come up with an excuse to leave. Um, <laughs> did not enjoy that at all. But the talk went okay in the end. Um, but it was that talk that I subsequently gave at four five one, and I thought, you know. I've nailed it. I've got this talk sorted out. And it was that one that Andy then said, yeah, I got to the end and thought, so what? <laughs> and that 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 uh, gave me a kick up the bum. But yeah, you're, you're, what you said about, you know, not being the smartest uh, person in the room. I can sit in a room by myself and not be the smartest person <laughs> in the room. Tell you, geez. I'm, I'm amazed I can, you know, I can put both legs into my underpants one at a time without... <laughs> <laughs> tripping over sometimes. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> uh, did we do the closing jingle on that? Yes, we did, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> completely lost track. I think we're at time, gentlemen. It is. Yeah, that one today. flew by. It did. It did. Absolutely flew by. Well, um, Jav, thank you so much uh, for your time and the fact that you weren't coughing and spluttering all the way through this. No, because I was muting a lot, there, but, you know. I had to save you and the accordion from uh, from the and coughing and spluttering. So. The accordion? Anyway. Anyway, oh, thank you so he, much. Because it folds in and out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, thank you very much. I oh, see. I thought you were going to say talking of folding. <laughs> <laughs> but stay secure, my friends. Stay secure. You've been listening to The Host Unknown Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, comment and subscribe. If you hated it, please leave your best insults on our Reddit channel. Worst episode ever. R slash smashing security. Did we get through a whole episode without you swearing that time, Tom? We don't want to offend the Duchess. Uh, I think I said uh, one fuck, two shits and a bugger. But as as I think that was after the credits, um, yeah. that, they're done now. It, it shouldn't count. Hopefully she doesn't listen for yeah, till the exactly. after credits I, I, scene. I, I think we're okay now.